So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If you were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one of the prisoners at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail the king of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or crucify you? Jesus answered, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be king opposes Caesar. And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, 
and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but rather that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her to his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, but the, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Shame and honor. We see in this story two themes that run parallel. Both two sides of the same coin. We see such utter shame. And we see the struggle for honor. Who's in charge? Who is king? Shame drips from the letters of the page as we read these words. And so I just want to first deal with the shame before we get to the honor. No matter the perspectives we see in this story or the characters whose eyes we take on, we're left with shame. The chief priests, they're wrestling with the shame of this Jesus who now wields more influence in Jerusalem with his words than they do. Pilate, who's supposed to be this ruler, dealing with the shame that after two previous uprisings, his hands are tied with his superiors in Rome, and now his very subjects are forcing him to condemn a man he doesn't wish to. And of course, this shame that Jesus is subjected to, flogged, mocked, stripped, and crucified. And what about us? What emotion should we feel on a day like today? Grief, shame, guilt, we know it's our sin that leads him to the cross. When we take a step back, I have to ask myself, what kind of holiday 
is this. And how strange it must look from the outside. How strange to celebrate the day of our God's death. And when I use the word celebrate, maybe some of you are are thinking, surely you mean commemorate or remember or mourn. Celebrate feels a little too strong sometimes. But I've discovered that this is also a day to celebrate. Good Friday should not only be mourned, it should be celebrated. Jesus dies willingly to free us from our sin and shame, not rub it in our noses. I think of a metaphor of a guilty thief standing before a judge and he hears the words not guilty. How will that thief celebrate that day going forward as the day that he should have been condemned or as the day that he received freedom and life? And it's the same for us. I came from a background that wasn't Christian. I was, I was born in a Muslim family. And the shame of this day is so much that it was transferred in a whole nother faith. I was taught um, that, that, that Jesus was a prophet. I was not that he was God, but, but that it was so shameful to die on this cross that, that God provided for Jesus a lookalike to die for him, that Jesus didn't die at all. That's what I was taught. Because the shame of this day is so much that, that God would subject himself to this manner of death. But he did die. On display, unrefutably, recorded for all of history. And I'm here to tell you that it was not primarily shame on display that day, but it was his love. I want to be clear that the cross did not happen to Jesus, but Jesus happened to the cross. Death did not come for Jesus, but Jesus came for death. The very symbol of the cross has been defeated, destroyed, flipped upside down. What used to be gruesome and shameful is now a sign of life and peace and healing. This is not a day of defeat but a day of victory that we celebrate. We've been going through the Gospel of John, and, and I know we read it in parts, but if you read it all from through to this point, John writes his Gospel so plainly, he doesn't want us to misunderstand him, and he makes it very clear in his Gospel that Jesus' life was not taken from him. It was freely given. Jesus says these words in John 17 and 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I've received from my father. You know, sometimes it takes the simplest things to pierce our hearts every year. In these holiday times, in, in Good Friday, Easter, and Christmas, we get out our Jesus Storybook Bible, and we, we read it to our kids, and I think we read it for our own sake. But there's this part with Jesus' crucifixion, that's what it looks like, where Sally Lloyd-Jones, the author, um, she writes, you see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. 
It was love. Tell you what, I cannot read that with my kids without hiding some tears. And that's why we see this all through Scripture echo. That's why the Apostle Paul writes to the Roman church, and I echo it to you today from 1 Corinthians 1, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. God chose to embrace shame on the cross. And he goes on to let us know that that has direct consequences for us. The scripture says, and Paul quotes from Isaiah, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Christ dies willingly so that we may live free from shame. And so if we deal with this idea of shame, we have to deal with the idea of honor as well. I come from a shame and honor culture. And rarely can you talk about one without talking about the other. I challenge you even to look at scripture. If it talks about one, it talks about the other. All through this story, if there's a theme of shame, there is this wrestling for authority. Who is honored here? Who is in charge here? Who is the king here? Scripture talks about these themes in duality everywhere. Hebrews 12 Uh, Verse 2 says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then listen to what else it says. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Shame was the road to honor. And again, if we go back to John 10 that we read, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority, authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again, shame and honor. The question in this story after we deal with this idea of shame is who is in charge, who is king, and who is victorious? Pilate is on the brink of losing his authority in this province, and he is coerced to execute Jesus at the religious leader's request. And the religious leaders are forced to compromise and say, we have no king but Caesar. What's more, they end up being mocked by Pilate, who crowns and robes Jesus and announces him as their king. You may have guessed where I'm I'm going with this already. Pilate's grasping for his remaining power, but he is not the honored king. He stands before Jesus and he tries to reassert his authority. He says to Jesus, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answers him, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus is king. The religious leaders finally thinking they're done with this Jesus, crucifying him as an example, are forced to stand in the shadow of the cross and read who the true king is. Again, The story says, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this sign. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And the man who asks, what is truth, 
is led by God to write the truth. Jesus is king. These religious leaders would realize in the coming days and sometime after that third day, when thousands would gather with many different language groups represented that come from the roots of this mocking sign, they would gather and they would hear the gospel preached miraculously in their own tongues and see 3,000 added to the church and they would repeat the words that were written over the cross, Jesus is King. Isn't it interesting that the one who endures shame is crowned King? The one who was before David comes in the line of David, even more undignified, stripped and paraded, yet worthy to receive all the honor. I want you to know today, if you walk away with one thing, that Jesus was king on the cross. He was king in the depths of death, and he was even king in the grave. In Acts, before this great multitude proclaims Jesus as king and the start of the church happens, many, in these many languages, we read this mystery about Christ's death proclaimed in Peter's sermon. In Acts 2, 24, it says, But God freed Jesus from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. Peter later clarifies in his epistle in 1 Peter 3 that for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. I don't claim to know or understand the mystery of Christ the King descending in death to hell and preaching to the generations before. But I do know that when Jesus preaches about hell, Seven times it's repeated that it is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you heard that? It is this place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But you know what? I see Jesus descending into hell as Peter describes, but he's not weeping or gnashing his teeth. He's proclaiming the good news of the gospel, the reign of his kingdom. Even as he descends into hell, he is king. Did he not say to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus is king. He was not defeated and staged a comeback. He was victorious in his suffering, glorified in his crucifixion, raiding the gates of hell in his death and even resting in victory in the grave. There was never a moment when Jesus was not king. I want you to see the truth of the king and the kingdom in every moment here. Scripture proclaims it in every detail. There was not a moment when Jesus was not king. This is not of importance just for your understanding, but for your very identity. You need to know this. From the beginning of the Gospel of John, John is clear. He, spoiler alert, he, he just cannot help himself from the first few verses in John 1. He tells it all. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never overcome it. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And this is what you need to know, what I need to know. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. At the cross, our shame became his and his righteousness becomes ours. At the cross, your old life is dead and your new life begins. Not a new chapter, but a new identity, a new creation. At the cross, we see that if the good news that gives life is at work, even at the gates of hell, won't it have the power to save here on earth? and specifically in your life. At the cross, we learn that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not even death. At the cross, we learn that we can be assured that God has made this Jesus whom we have crucified, Lord and King, and that all who believe are given the inalienable right to be the sons and daughters of the Most High King. So today... I invite you, I want you to step into this reality. It was you he came for. You he died for. You are the child of the living God through the blood of Jesus. And that identity changes everything from earth to eternity. Would you stand with me? Today, I want us to, as we go into worship, proclaim him as king. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord today be saved. Proclaim him as your king, some of you, for the first time. I have this this image as I was preparing this that, that we almost like those languages surrounding the cross and surrounding Pentecost. Some of us need to say Jesus is king in our own heart languages, in our own tongues where we've come from, our own languages. I see people representing nations here. Proclaim him as king, some of you, once again. The king of kings, the king of glory, Yeshua al-Malek, el Rey de majestad, the king of glory. As we worship, crown him with many crowns. As we sing, respond to the king who defeated death. Thank you, Lord Jesus.